Hey friends, welcome to the Natasha Crane podcast. It has been a while since I have had a new episode, and if you're somebody who looks forward to new episodes on this podcast, I do apologize that I had to leave things hanging a bit. I think my last one was back in November, but there are a couple of really good reasons why I had my hands full for the last several weeks. And if you follow me on social media, you already know this, but for those who don't, I launched two major initiatives with my friend and fellow author speaker, Elisa Childers, in this time. So just to make sure everybody's up to speed, I want to tell you a little bit about those things, and then we'll get going with today's episode. Well, first, we're launching a series of four conferences called Unshaken this year, designed to better equip Christians to live for Jesus in this very challenging culture. We just did the first one in Dayton, Ohio in January, and we're going to be in Southern California on May 6th and Nashville on November 4th. Now, we hadn't announced until now what that Southern California location will be. It was just announced this weekend at the church, and so I'm sharing it with you now, but we're going to be at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills. And the tickets for that location are actually now on sale. So if you go to unshakenconference.com, you'll get more information on the conference in general, what the schedule looks like, the sessions that you'll hear. And by the way, we're doing it with Frank Turek. He's amazing. I'm sure that most of you are familiar with him already. You should know too that there are early bird tickets available. So don't wait. If you're anywhere near the Southern California location and you want to be there, you can get a significant discount by going ahead and getting your tickets right now. We're going to be announcing the specific location in the Nashville area very soon, as well as the fourth location where we're going to be in September very soon. So keep an eye out on social media for that announcement. And if you don't already follow me there, I'm most active on Facebook. You can look up my page, Natasha Crane, author and speaker. I'm also on Instagram and post there somewhat regularly. So you can get ongoing announcements in both of those places. The second big initiative that's been taking my time since my last episode is that Elisa and I have launched a podcast together called Unshaken Faith, and it's a weekly podcast. We just launched it last month, and we're dropping short-form episodes every single Wednesday. And so when I say short-form, I mean these are like 15 to 20 minutes, and they're designed to just really equip Christians to respond to culture today. So to be clear, it isn't replacing this podcast or Elisa's individual podcast is just in addition to them. And so if you haven't already heard about it, be sure to go and subscribe to that for weekly content that you're not going to want to miss. Finally, regarding this podcast, I have several great interviews that are coming up. So please know I didn't abandon the ship here at all. It's just been a really busy time. And this episode is just the beginning of a great year of new content that's coming up. All right. So let's get to business. Today, I want to answer several different claims that are popularly leveled against Christians in the course of cultural discussions. On the surface, they sound like very different kinds of claims, but I have been thinking so much lately about the fact that underlying them all is a common theme. And here's what that theme is. If you hold confidently to a certain viewpoint, that makes you arrogant. So Jesus obviously wants us to be humble, but a lot of times I think Christians can misunderstand the nature of that humility and start to believe the world's claims that we're being arrogant about things that we're not actually being arrogant about. As a simple starting point for thinking about this subject, let's just say for now that godly humility is knowing one's rightful place in subordination to God. Let me say that one more time. Godly humility is knowing one's rightful place in subordination 
to God. So we have to be really clear on this subject in order to not sink into some kind of naively humble place that's actually a lack of boldness rather than true humility. So to that end, there are three questions that I want to tackle today, things that you will commonly hear out there, especially on social media, but also in person, of course, too. So here's the first one that you'll hear. Who are you to judge? This often comes up in discussions about morality. In other words, this is a charge about moral arrogance. It's a way of saying, hey, who are you to tell me what's right or wrong? Isn't that arrogant of you? That's the first one that we're going to talk about. The second one is, who are you to be so confident that you know what's true better than anyone else? I'll call this epistemic arrogance. So epistemology, that sounds like a big word, but it's just the study of how we know what's true. So epistemic arrogance is a charge of being overly confident in your knowledge. And then three, we're going to look at the question, hey, who are you to think your biblical interpretation is better than mine or anyone else's? We'll call this one a charge of biblical arrogance. So the common theme here is, who are you to make a claim with such confidence? Whether we're talking about morality, knowledge, or what the Bible teaches, this is something that comes up over and over again in conversations today. So let's dig into it. Let's start with the moral arrogance one. This charge comes when you state something is morally wrong. It usually comes in the form of, who are you to judge? In other words, who are you to tell me what is right or wrong? That's what you'll hear from secular culture over and over again. Again, and a lot of times Christians just kind of sheepishly back away, not really knowing how to engage from that point. So to understand how to respond, there are a couple of things that we have to be clear on. First, a lot of Christians think the Bible actually tells us not to judge. They think of Matthew 7, 1, where Jesus says, judge not or you too will be judged. But this is a case like so many others, where if we just take that one verse straight from the text without reading the context, we're going to get a really wrong idea of what it means. In the context, it's a prelude to a passage about not judging hypocritically. So if you keep reading, Jesus says to take the log out of your eye so you you can see clearly to take the speck from your brother's eye. Notice that it says, so you can see clearly. In other words, don't be guilty of the same thing that you see wrong in someone else's life. If Jesus didn't want us to make any kind of judgment, he would just say, hey, take the log out and then walk away. But he says, take the log out so you can see clearly to help your neighbor. And we can see this throughout the New Testament, but very explicitly also in John 7, 24, Jesus says to not judge by mere appearances, but judge with right judgment. All of that said, this kind of judgment that we're talking about here, which is basically discernment, is different than condemnation. Condemnation is the thought that you're in the position of proclaiming a person's final standing before God, saying that you're a person who's going to heaven or you're a person who's going to hell. We are not to make those kinds of judgments. That is for God alone. So the reason it's important to explain what the Bible says up front about judgment is that if you really believe we aren't supposed to judge, to tell someone what is right or wrong about morality, then the conversation is just going to stop there. You won't speak up when you should, or when you speak up, someone accuses you of being judgmental, then you believe that it's wrong, and then you slink away into the shadows. So we really have to be clear on this point. We are to judge, and it is part of being salt and light in culture. If we're going to preserve culture, if we're going to be a light in the darkness, we have to share truth. Okay, so now that we understand we are to make judgments, we can get back to the response for when someone says, hey, who are you to judge? 
So I'm just going to give you a sample response. There are a lot of ways that you could frame this, a lot of different ways you could word this, but hopefully this will be helpful in helping you develop your own angle. So this is what I would say if someone says, who are you to judge? Quote, I'm no one to determine what is morally right or wrong. Only God has the moral authority to determine that. I believe the Bible is God's word, though, and that's where he's told us what is right or wrong. The Bible says that, and this is where you fill in the blank with whatever issue you're talking about. So from my perspective, I'm just sharing what I believe God has already said, not claiming to be in any position of moral authority myself. It's sort of like someone sharing that 2 plus 2 equals 4. We wouldn't consider that arrogant just because some people might say 2 plus 2 equals something else. I believe God's word is as much a fact as 2 plus 2. People might believe I'm wrong in that belief, but it wouldn't make me arrogant. End quote. Now, you wouldn't say it this way, but I just want you to see that basically the idea here is, hey, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just sharing what I believe God has said. And if what Christians believe is true, then it isn't arrogant to share the message of what God has already judged to be right or wrong. You're just passing on the news. You know, in in the same way, if a Muslim told me that they believe Allah is displeased with the behavior I do, that he has condemned, I wouldn't say that person is arrogant for telling me that's the case. I would understand that from that person's worldview, they are simply a messenger of their God, not that they believe that they are better than I am. And actually, that example might be helpful to share with others as well. If you're in a conversation like this, you don't think that others are being arrogant when they share their beliefs and you're hoping that the person you're talking with won't either. If you get into a deeper conversation with someone on this, you might pose another question. You might say this also, what if I told you I think rape and murder are wrong? Would you ask the same question of who I am to judge those things wrong? And if not, why not? Of course, the reason for asking this is that nearly everyone acknowledges those things are wrong, and people would never call you arrogant if you were to say as much. People say, who are you to judge when your morality goes against today's popular consensus? Everyone is fine making judgment calls, morally speaking, until then. So get people to think about how and why they are drawing their own moral line. As Christians, we believe there's an objective moral standard determined by the creator of the universe who is the good and rightful authority and reveals these truths in the Bible. We are not the moral authority. We're simply sharing what we believe the ultimate judge has already said. So don't buy it for a second that you're being arrogant, presuming to be better than someone else by placing yourself in rightful submission to God and sharing what he has said. And not just what he has said, but doing what he has asked us to do in telling others about him. All right, that brings us to our next subject of epistemic arrogance. So a closely related subject comes up when people say something to the effect of, who are you to be so confident that you know what's true better than others? And I'm calling this the charge of epistemic arrogance. Epistemology, again, is the study of knowledge. It's can we know things beyond just having opinions? And if so, how would we know that? Epistemic arrogance, then, would be a charge that you arrogantly claim to know better than others what is true. Now, this comes up in a variety of ways when you might hear this. Sometimes it's in the context of a discussion on morality. For example, someone could reply in the conversation we just went through that it's arrogant for you to think you know what God has said. 
Other times it comes up in the context of conversations about evangelism. People often say it's arrogant for you to share your faith with others in the hope they'll convert because that, in their mind, implies that you knew something about truth better than they did. How dare you come along and say that they needed to hear something that you believe as if you know better than they do. But in both of those contexts, as well as other similar ones, here's the core issue. People presuppose or assume beforehand that there's no possibility of anyone having a well-founded knowledge about God. Let me say that again. People presuppose or assume beforehand that there's just no possibility of anyone having a well-founded knowledge about God. It's the assumption that we can only have confident knowledge about other categories of things like how the natural world works through scientific experimentation, for example. In my book, Faithfully Different, I discuss this secular view quite a bit as part of my four tenets of secularism. I talk about how feelings are the ultimate guide, happiness is the ultimate goal, judging is the ultimate sin, and God is the ultimate guess. And as I explained there, a lot of people think that secular culture is godless. People just don't believe in God at all. But that's not the case. About 90% of the American population does indeed believe in God or some kind of higher power. So people are pretty much fine with you believing in some kind of generic God. It's just not okay, according to culture, to think there's reason to be confident that what you believe about God is true. In other words, as long as who God is is a comfortable guess, where everyone's ideas are equally valid because no one can really know, that's a fine place for secular culture to be. It means we're ultimately left to the authority of ourselves. That's what human beings want by nature, as I talk a lot about in Faithfully Different. So given this understanding of culture's assumption that God is just a guess, where everyone's understanding of him are just equally valid ideas, think then about the implications for discussions about morality. If no one really knows anything about God, then the best we can do is sort of apply our own moral thinking to our own lives. That's the only conclusion you can really come to. It would make no sense to apply our moral thinking to other people's lives at all. That's the worldview secular people are coming from. So here's the key takeaway if we think carefully about this. From the secular view that assumes no one can have confident knowledge about who God is and what his moral standards are, it would be arrogant to think you know better than others do. I want you to really think about this. So let me say it another way. If their worldview is true, I'm not saying it is, I'm saying thought experiment here. If their worldview is true, that God has not revealed himself through scripture, and we're all in the same playing field doing guesswork about who he is and what he desires from us, then no one can claim to know what's true more than anyone else. God hasn't said anything. So if you claim your blind guess is better than someone else's, that in a sense could be considered arrogant. It's important for us as Christians to kind of be able to think outside of our own perspective to see where other people are coming from. It's tricky because we can be tempted to think that we have to then play on culture's presumed field. We don't, but we can use that information to craft responses that are better understood. So let's think about it now from a Christian perspective. From a Christian perspective, our beliefs are not a blind leap in the dark. We believe that there's extensive evidence for God's existence, for the resurrection, historically speaking, and for the reliability of God's word. From our view, we can be confident 
that we know who God is, who we are, and what his moral standards are, because he has revealed those things in the Bible. So when secularists claim we're being arrogant, they're making that evaluation from their own worldview assumptions. When we start believing that we shouldn't, quote unquote, impose our moral beliefs on others by sharing what we believe God has said, we effectively move ourselves over to the playing field of another worldview. We take on the assumption that we can't be confident and therefore shouldn't treat our own views as more than our own guess. But friends, we can have deep confidence in the truth of what we believe, even if culture says it's all a guess. The Bible does not treat our beliefs as a guess in any way. In fact, Romans 1, for example, says that we all know of our creator because he has made his eternal power and divine qualities clearly seen so that no one is without excuse. Now, if that is true, if our worldview is true, then God isn't a guess. He is a matter of universal knowledge. So if you're a Christian, that's the perspective from which you must speak. Speak from our worldview playing field while understanding why someone sitting on another field with other assumptions is making the claim they are. So with all of that said as background, let's craft an example reply to someone who says something along the lines of, Hey, who are you to be so confident that you know what's true better than others? Here is what I might say. Quote, Well, all of us form beliefs about the nature of reality. Sometimes they're beliefs that few disagree about. For example, that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Other beliefs are things people have vast disagreements about. For example, which religion offers a true picture of reality. But just because people disagree about what is true doesn't mean that some beliefs don't have better justifications than others. And there's no reason to assume that beliefs about God are in a different category than beliefs about other things we claim to have confident knowledge about all the time. It's true that if God exists and never revealed anything about himself, then everyone's guesses about what's true of him could be equally valid. But there's extensive evidence for God's existence, as well as historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, and many pieces of evidence to support the reliability of the Bible as God's word. If Christianity is indeed better evidenced than other religions, then it's not arrogant to claim that it's a true picture of reality. Do you want to talk about some of the evidence that points to Christianity being true? End quote. Now, of course, you you better be able to speak to that evidence if you're going to ask the question at the end. But my point in including that is that we're not just trying to win an argument, logically speaking, to show the problems in logic, although, of course, that can be part of how we communicate with people. But we're trying to get at the end to a point where we can get into a true communication with someone to be able to share with them about the Bible and about God's truth. And so this is part of why apologetics is so important. You need to know how to make a case and defend the truth of Christianity. If you need help in that area, if you're new to this or you need to brush up on it, check out my three apologetics books for parents. They're called Keeping Your Kids on God's Side, Talking with Your Kids About God, and Talking with Your Kids About Jesus. I'll put links to all of them in the show notes. You can read about them on my website. And while they're written with parents in mind, anyone who's looking for short, easy-to-understand chapters on these topics will find them helpful. Again, they're not written for kids. They're written to equip the parents, and so they'll be useful for any adult who wants to get more equipped on these areas of apologetics. 
All right. I know I'm throwing a lot at you in this episode, maybe not a lot in terms of length, but I know this is a lot of thinking. So stick with me for our last question, our last point of arrogance here. This one is biblical arrogance. So this one is a bit different because it's one that's leveled between Christians. This is where Christians tell each other, hey, that's just your interpretation. At its core, this too is a charge of arrogance in some way. It's a way of saying, hey, stop telling me what's true from the Bible. You don't know any better than I do. It's just your interpretation. Now, there are certain things that Christians do have disagreements on related to interpretation of the Bible. Classic examples are the study of end times, eschatology, and the relationship between God's sovereignty and free will, for example. An appropriate level of humility here would be to recognize what perennial debates have existed in the church on secondary issues and not claim that our own view is the only one that a biblically faithful Christian can have. But that said, conversations about secondary issues are much different than those about primary doctrines that have been the consistent teaching of the church for the last 2,000 years. When someone challenges you on something like the bodily resurrection of Jesus by saying, well, that's just your interpretation of what the Bible says, this is something that many progressive Christians would say, here's the question to ask. Do you think that some interpretations of biblical teachings are more accurate than others or are all equally valid? If they say that all are equally valid, here's a sample response. Quote, I'm curious why you believe that about the Bible, because we never read with that kind of assumption in daily life. No one, for example, reads an article about an election and says their interpretation is that it was really about cameras. We all know that there is a range of reasonable interpretations around writings. The question, therefore, shouldn't be whether something is my interpretation or your interpretation. That's actually totally irrelevant. But which is the best or the right interpretation? It's not arrogant to say that some interpretations are better than others. Saying that all interpretations of the Bible are equally valid is an interpretation too. So with all of that said, can I ask why you believe that's the right interpretation? End quote. If you can, then you would want to move the conversation from there to evidence and looking at how we would know which interpretation is the right one. Now, if the person acknowledges from the beginning that some interpretations are indeed better than others, here's a different sample response in that scenario. Quote, okay, so the issue isn't really that you see my interpretation as one of many possibilities and therefore I shouldn't speak to it as true, is that you believe it's just not the right interpretation. And that's totally fair. I'd love to talk about how we can determine biblically which is the right interpretation then. Can you share with me how you came to your conclusion about your interpretation? End quote. I hope this episode has been helpful in sorting through these kinds of claims because if you spend any time online, you'll definitely see them a lot. But remember, godly humility doesn't mean that we need to make other people feel that any ideas they have about God are just as valid as biblical ideas. It doesn't mean that we should be putting others first somehow and considering their ideas better than any ones we might hold that line up with what the Bible teaches. It doesn't mean that we need to hold our beliefs loosely so that other people don't think we're being arrogant by proclaiming what we believe to be true. Remember, godly humility is knowing your rightful place in subordination to God. We're putting ourselves in that place by accepting and sharing what he says is true in the Bible. 
Thank you guys so much for listening today. Like I said, there are more episodes that are coming down the pipeline very soon. I can't wait to share them with you. If you haven't already subscribed to my podcast, please be sure to do that. And if you've enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate and review it on your platform. Aside from the fact that it helps more people find out about the podcast, it really is a great encouragement to me to read what you have to say about the show. It helps me to keep this thing going on. So thanks again for listening today, and I will talk with you soon. Bye-bye.